This is the Bittersweet and Twisted Records podcast with Vince and Bobby. I'm Vince. And I'm Bobby. And welcome to episode 14. 14. A.K.A. part three of the Andy Sex Gang interviews. Correct. So hopefully you've been listening to the... um, Part one and two. Part one and two. Um, they're interviews that I did with my friend Kieran back in um, Brixton in 2002. Back in days. Back in days. Um, you can go back and listen to episode 12. gives you uh, some of the background history on the interviews and Andy himself. I'm not going to regurgitate all that because it'll take up time and make this really long podcast. And we've learned one thing from our podcast is that people don't like them when they're really long. Yeah. Short attention span. I yeah. get it. You hear that or we just... Babble on too much. Maybe. Maybe. Um, <laughs> excuse me. But we're doing these um, archive ones with Andy's 20-year-old interviews because, first of all, it's 20 years since I did these interviews. Right. And 40 years since um, Andy's band, Sex and Children, started releasing things. So. It seems two, so long ago. Two interviews. Oh, two interviews. Two anniversaries. So, yes. So later in this episode, we'll get to the um, Andy interview. But first... Thank you for covering my burp with that. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> we let, well, let me get it out of the way real quick. Um, if you like the podcast uh-huh. and you like us for some yes. reason, um, you can go to bittersweetandtwistedrecords.com mm-hmm. where you have a link to our stores. Yes. One of them, the eBay store, you can buy records and CDs, cassettes yeah. and all that fun stuff we have up. And you work hard every day putting stuff up there, so go check it out. Almost every day. Almost every day. And it then, works. Okay, yeah, and then we have a, a merch store where we have T-shirts and all that kind of stuff. Yes, and we have a great logo. We, so. we, we have two designs up right now. We we're, do. We're talking about a third design, mm-hmm. but um, I'm not going to say anything about it until no. in case I actually don't do it. It would be fantastic. I might not do it. No, no. I always say we stuff on here. I always say stuff on here. It takes me forever to do it. Well. But at least maybe we will still do it. Maybe we'll still do it. It'll be yeah. it'll be kind of cool. But either or, the other uh, you'll probably logos you'll, you'll, are you'll, awesome. you'll probably be the only person to buy one. Possibly because you'll wear it. I will wear it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, we've been super busy um, ever la- since the last um, episode. Yeah, got a lot of stuff added to the store. Yes, you did. Um, I was out yesterday looking for records and CDs mm-hmm. and stuff for the store. Found a bunch of stuff. I found, you know, okay, if you've been with the podcast since the beginning, you know, I think we've probably mentioned it. My um, thing when we go in hunts is mm-hmm. no hair metal left behind. Absolutely none. If it's cheap. Right. Because sometimes it's pricier and I'm like, no way. Yes. But I was like, yesterday I found a whole bunch of hair metal CDs. Yeah. And you texted uh, me. There uh, was so much hair so metal that had so, to be left behind. So, yeah. There was like Danger Danger and Faster Puss Cat and a bunch of stuff. But as great as I think Faster Police Cats make Wake Me When It's Over is, yeah. it doesn't sell well on eBay. And same thing with the Danger Danger first one. Hmm. And some of the other ones I was looking up. So I didn't get them. Because, yeah, well. I mean, as much as I think they're great, yeah, I if they're not if they're not selling enough to make money... Yeah, then no, you know, no need to I'm bring them into, over. We're not, I don't, we don't have the eBay store to break even or lose money. It's, That's true. I, I, sadly, we're in a capitalist society and... What? You got to make money to pay for stuff. That's true. But I not say I didn't get hair metal. You did get. I did get some. Quite a bit. I, I can't remember right now. I'm just looking at the box, but it's other side of the room. I'm not getting up to go look at it. But um, next couple of weeks, check out eBay store because what I don't keep will be up. Yes. 
and it's I not going into our vast yeah. collection. It's oh, going did, to be in the store. And I did get some punk stuff yesterday, which surprised me. It's funny. Like we're Bobby and I are at this age now, where you go to flea markets and 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 record shows and stuff, and Goodwill, you're finding like a lot of like '80s metal and yeah. punk stuff. Our generation, they have aged out evidently yeah, and of it's, music, it's, and they're getting it, rid of it. <laughs> it was really weird. I was in a Goodwill the other day, and I got um a New Order cassette and Modern English. Yeah, I got something else that day. I can't remember what I got. Well, and what you didn't get, you still, you did a TikTok of oh, the yeah, version. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So we do have a new thing up. Yeah, because we've said before, we've talked about this for almost a year now. Yeah. We have a TikTok, but we haven't done anything with it. So, well, in the last week or so, we've started doing stuff with it. We have. And the most recent TikTok we have up, which is Bittersweet and Twisted, I think that's it. Yes. And anyway, it's, 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 no, it's not linked. Oh, is oh. it linked? I don't think I linked it on our website yet. Mm, we'll have to. I'll have to update that this week. But anyway... When I was in the one Goodwill, someone had a, a cassette of um, they donated a cassette of um, the Cure. Stand- a simple transition. What video. is going on there, Bobby? Sorry, my bad. What are you on your phone? Go ahead. Um, someone had donated. Uh, the- are you taking a picture of me? No. Yes, you are. You lying. No, I'm not. Are oh, you doing a TikTok yeah. now? Aren't you? I'm not going to do it. Finish it, but I'm just going to take it since we're right. t- doing it. All right, all right. Next, do it now. Yeah. I won't. I won't. I won't say that you're doing it now. But um, so our most recent TikTok. The one before the one Bobby's going to put up here shortly. Um, someone had, had donated the Cure standing on the beach cassette. They didn't have a cover. And so they made their own cover in the front. Just said the Cure standing on the beach. And the back, the girl had written a note about this cassette on the back of it. And I, I, I sent the pictures to Bobby. That was hilarious. It was and fantastic. So it's on our, it's on our TikTok now. And you, mm-hmm. see, you can see what this, um, this girl had written back. Back in the 80s. Yes. And it's great. It was kind of cool that it was now in a goodwill. And then I also got a New Order cassette. And it was um, written to someone for, like, what was their 17th birthday yeah. in 1989. Yeah, 1989. So I'm assuming yeah. it's the same people, same yeah. girl. I like to think so. I like to have in my head, like, a story. Yeah. Like, she had all these, you know, tapes and cassettes and CDs and things like that. And then, you know, something, I don't know. I hope nothing bad happened to her, but maybe she just well, aged out of, yeah. thought it was, you know, she was too old for that you stuff. You can't enjoy New Order. Yeah, if but you can. You can. Well, well, it's like that one time I got a copy of um, Thin Lizzy's um, Bad Reputation of a Dollar Band. Yeah. And had a, a, a envelope inside. Oh, right. Yeah, I saw, I kept it. Yes. This girl who had owned the record back in 77 had her boyfriend was in the military and she'd written him this letter and it kept getting bounced around different addresses before it came back to her which is right. kind of sad that he never got kind this letter sad, yeah. but like she was mentioned in the letter how she still had the um, box of rubbers ah. for you young people old people used to call condoms rubbers I don't yes. think you guys call them that anymore I don't know what they call them but um <laughs> so she said, still said she still had the box of rubbers and then her and friend had tickets to go see Queen Wow. So it was a really cool letter, and I just like know whatever happened to the people involved. We'll have to find them. Well, we'll have to, um, they're probably old now. They're probably on Facebook probably. if they're alive. <laughs> but check the t- check out the TikToks. We're just yeah. starting with that. We're we'll figuring and, um, it out. We're figuring it out. I, I, I shot some video yesterday that I, uh, I might put on TikTok this week about a hunt I did yesterday. Mm-hmm. But also yesterday, we um, watched the um, 1980 movie Times Square. Which was directed by Alan Moyle. I hope that's your name. Spelled. I hope I, we have a bad habit on this podcast of pronouncing names wrong. We do. So it's 
it looks like Alan Moyle, so mm-hmm. hopefully that's your name. Mm-hmm. Hope so. Your name, like like he's listening. Yeah. He could be dead for all I know. Ah, Maybe he's not. He could be. But um, we had the soundtrack for Times Square for ages. Ages. Because the soundtrack, and I saw two copies of it yesterday, mm-hmm. but they were beat to hell, so I didn't get them. Well, but, one thing is I, I love compilations. Yes, you do. Um, because a lot of times I think um, you can find songs that from, from awesome artists that typically may, might not be on their actual albums, but they've created the song specifically for the movie. And that the only re- way you can find it is by getting the compilation or the soundtrack to that movie um, or just yeah. compilations, yeah. Um, mix of different bands and stuff. But it's usually fantastic, and I love that. I love finding songs that are on here, um, and this soundtrack is awesome. Yeah, and I don't, I don't see it being reissued because I imagine the licensing of yeah. these songs would be a nightmare because it came out in 1980. Yeah. I imagine it'd be a nightmare trying to get all these. But um, uh, you want to talk about who's on the soundtrack first? You want to talk? Let's talk about who's on the soundtrack yeah, first. Let's then talk we'll talk about the movie. Yeah, because the soundtrack the, the, is the plot of this movie is like it's in New York. It's tough. To, it's these two teen girls. Um, uh, Nikki, she's a tough girl. Yes. And then there's Pamela, the, um, rich girl. Rich, yeah. Her, her dad's yeah. like in politics. Politics. Yeah. Pretty much uses her as a prop. Yeah. And, and she's really quiet and introverted, and they think something's wrong with her. So the two girls are in like in the hospital. And yep. they meet, and then they leave the hospital. They and formed a, form a friendship, um, unlikely characters, but they form yeah. a friendship, and they go on this kind of um, teenage awakening yeah. discovery, right, like, but, doing and, stuff. And Tim Curry's in it as Tim Radio Curry's DJ. Tim Curry's in it, yeah. And who, who doesn't love Tim Curry? Oh, I love Tim Curry. Um, but we'll get into the movie yes. in a second. I just want to give you the plot. Yeah. Because we have a lot to say about the movie. Mm-hmm. Not too much. We don't make the podcast too long. Yeah. We had a big discussion about it last we night did. after we watched mm-hmm. it. But. But the soundtrack, um, I mean, side one starts off with Susie Quattro. Mm-hmm. So um, that right there is pretty awesome. Then it goes on with the Pretenders, uh, the Talk of the Town, um, Gary Newman, Roxy Music, Roxy Music, which they play during the beginning credits That's of the movie. True. Um, then it's got um, Marcy Levy and Robin Gibb doing so Help Me. You get a little bit of one third of the BGs on there. Yeah, correct. Because they were, I'm assuming they're on here mm-hmm. because um, Robert Stigwood produced the movie. Yeah. And his record label is RSO, mm-hmm. Robert Stigwood Organization. Yes. And the Bee Gees were signed to RSO at the time. Yeah. So I figured, I guess he figured, well, the Bee Gees had a big hit right. with Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. Let's get one of them on here. They at sure least. did. Um, then side two, you got, you know, you're talking heads, um, Joe Jackson, XTC, um, I Want to Be Sedated by the Ramones, which you hear that several times yeah. being played um you have damn dog um sung by rob robin johnson which is, is the act one the main actress yep she plays nikki and um in in the movie then you have side three uh your daughter is one which is also by trini which, alvarado which is the other girl girl and, and robin. that song um, would not get it would not today. happen today. No. It, would, it is so politically incorrect. Yes, but we're it's not, fantastic. We're not going to repeat the lyrics. Yeah, no. We want people mm-hmm. to hear this podcast. Nope. But 
there is no way this movie would get made today with yeah. that song in no, here. No, no, no. Like, we were watching it last night, and I just was, like, in disbelief. Yeah. I'm like, wow, okay. You hit the um, some of the major words you can't say. Yeah, you will. This society now. Um, but another thing, another uh, band that was super awesome on here, and that you even mentioned we need to find more of their, thi- of their music mm-hmm. out and about, which... I can't say I found anything. The Ruts. The Ruts. I have out. a I have a I have a Ruts compilation that we got when we were in DC last year. Mm. And the Ruts are on it, or is it? No, it's all theirs. Oh, it's all theirs. Yeah, it's all Ruts. Stuff. Okay. I got it, and I feel the name of that shop in DC where we got the Angelic Upstarts and um, oh yeah, Eddie and the Hot Rods. Oh and right, a bunch right. Of stuff, yeah. Oh, that really oh, cool the, one. Yeah, and they got the pan, uh, the Pandoras there. We had a bunch yeah. of stuff. Yeah, we did. Um, and then you um, you can't hurry love by D L Byron. Then you have the good song Walk on the Wild Side by Lou Reed and The Night Was Not by Desmond Child and Rogue. Rouge. Rouge or Rogue? Rouge. Okay. Desmond Child's great. Yeah. He, um, he went on to write like a shit ton of songs for like Joan Jett, Aerosmith. Okay. Uh, Cher, Kiss, Alice Cooper, so many. He's, Ricky Martin. He's written so Katy Perry. He's written so many so songs. So many. Okay. Then the side four, the last side, um, starts off with Garland Jeffries, um, Grinding the Halt by The Cure, Pissing in the River with the Patti Smith group, which is, frankly, my favorite era of the Patti Smith. Yeah. Is when it's Patti Smith group. Uh, Flowers in the City with David Johansson and the main character, Robin Johnson, singing together. And then you have um, it ending with... um, one of the popular songs throughout the movie called Damn Dog by the main character, Robin Johnson, um, singing. It's a great, um, so, I mean, if you know us, yeah, if you know us, this hits like so many artists that we love. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's up there definitely for both of us because it's got your Gary Newman on here and, and Susie Quattro. Um, Susie Quattro for me. And then both Talk- of us, The Cure. And Talking Heads for <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, Talking Heads, XTC. Lou Reed for you. Yeah. Ruts for me. Yeah. And we, we both, both love David Johansson. We do, absolutely. So it's a really great. And hey, it, it's not an expensive record. It's really record. not. You usually find it online between five and ten bucks. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I usually won't hear us telling you to go buy something from someone else. But since we don't have any up for sale, it's true, right we now, don't. We almost did. The ones I saw yesterday were better conditioned. One was a yeah. promo too, and it pained me. I was trying to talk myself into it. But we try to only bring the best for yeah. our people. Well, out there. I was looking at the looking at the record. I'm like, the marks aren't that bad. Yeah, if you have to like, you know, yeah. and, justify but, it by and, doing that, then. But that's then not it was worth missing it. the original inner sleeves, yeah. and I was like, you know so, what? I was like, I could spend this money on something. That's else. right. And we try to bring it, like I said, the best to our listeners and we, to people that purchase. Um, I, I, yeah, we from don't. Us. We don't. We're not big on selling you guys stuff that skips. Yeah, no. Believe me, we've listened to a lot of album. I'm not gonna say bad, but albums that mm-hmm. aren't our favorites. True. To make sure they play. And I've even tried to suggest, well, just put it in the description that it skips in this no. song. And he's no, like, I, no, I, I can't. I can't. I, I, I can't do that. I, I find that disgusting when people list something. He does. Go, Nigga, so. well, it skips. The-. Like I was in a shop and they had a Thin Lizzy record up for like 20 bucks. And he goes, oh, it skips on song two on side B. I'm like, then, then why do you want 20 yeah. bucks for it? Yeah. It's dollar bin record. Where for me, I mean, sometimes there, people are out there just to be the collectors of the album and not necessarily well, that's to true. have it. I say, as long as it says it in the description, well, then I'm what? okay with that. Years ago, yeah, I did have um, 
Co- uh, the Coven album. Oh, I forget what it was called. It's the one that had the gatefold and you open it up and has like a satanic ritual oh, in the front. Oh, right, yes. I think it's called Witchcraft and something or yeah. something. Witchcraft's in the title. Yeah. But this is before it had been reissued. Mm-hmm. I, this was like a first pressing. And I got a Goodwill. And it sold, even I put in the description, skips here and there, still sold for 70 bucks. See, there you go. But I don't like to do that now. I know you do. You know why I don't do it now? Because there's so many other comp- competitors out there? That and people are big pussies now. Oh, yeah. I shouldn't word it that way. No. But after watching Times Square, yeah, it's got you in that <laughs> mindset, the you know, less politically correct mindset. There there's you go. People are more sensitive about things. That's true. Someday. Now, um, well, nowadays. I don't even have to say some days. Now, I feel like mm. nowadays people are way more sensitive. It's not like when we were kids. But, yeah. but anyway. anyway. So... So check the soundtrack out if you can find it. We're going to put some of the songs we'll probably have oh, up playlist, on our playlist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mean, well, I, don't, I haven't looked on Spotify yet, but if the whole thing's on Spotify, ah, I'm putting the go. whole damn thing on there. There you go. Except for that one song probably won't be on there. That's true. But that, it, song, is, that song is called Your Daughter Is One. Yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. don't know. I mean, some of the things that play from the 70s now, now true, and true. then are, you're like, what? Why so, did they say that? So, when I got Bobby a soundtrack last year, she was like, oh, I got to see the movie. And I yes. had downloaded it, and we are going to watch it. I didn't want to watch it on the computer. Mm-hmm. And I tried to burn it to a DVD-R, and it sped up, and yeah. it just it was a nightmare. Didn't work. So, but... Yeah. Um, Kino Lorber recently yes. re- issued it on Blu-ray. Yeah, thank you. And... We were so, able to get it, so... So, I got it, and we watched it. Yes. Um... I mean, it, the, oh, refer, me, okay. the first thing, um, this um, this presentation of the movie, yeah, it looks great, yeah, it sounds great, awesome. Um, I think I don't have a problem with the acting. I think it's a I think it's a well shot yes, film. I agree. I think it's a well acted movie. Uh, I think the costume design in this movie is fabulous. I do too. It's just it's I mean, but the problem with this movie, it's too damn long. I agree. It's 111 minutes. So some people go, oh, it's under two hours. But here's the problem. Um, I think the first act, mm-hmm. introducing the characters, and they meet, and you set, yeah. up, set them up, I think first act's fine. I think the second act drags on too long. I agree. And it, it's, a, uh, I think, too much of their um, relationship building scenes. I think they kind of start... Um, uh, I think there's too many of them that repeat the same information over and over. Yeah. There's, I mean, you're not, I mean, you could cut some out. Absolutely. And then I felt that in the third act, the conflict where the, you know, the characters um, split and have a, yeah. um, I mean, oh, spoiler warning. Yeah. But they have a difference, a difference of opinion on things. Yes. Um, I feel it, it comes about too abruptly. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like, they felt like the first second acts had gone on way too long. Yeah. But instead of cutting down the second act, all of a sudden this, the the conflict happens so fast between the two characters. Yeah. And and I feel like their 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 personalities shift too hard. Mm-hmm. Like Nikki goes like this way. I'm trying to. I don't want to spoil it for you. Yeah. But her personality shifts one one way too fast. Yeah. And then Pamela's personality shifts the other way yeah. too fast. Yeah. And it just felt real. The whole last act felt really awkward and forced. And then, like, I, I, this is a spoilery part. 
Pamela's dad is a dick the whole movie. Yeah. He even slaps Nikki around in one scene. Yeah. But then, in like the last act, he becomes like a different. His character is almost like a different character. Yeah. He is much more accepting, and he is. it just it just seems out. It feels like it. It feels like a chunk of the movie is missing. Yeah. Well, I for me as someone with ADD and it's hard sometimes to focus and to sit still without fidgeting, I felt like I was melting, paint melting on a wall because I was like, oh my God, this could have ended like forever ago. So I had a hard time because I really wanted to love it. I wanted to love it so much just because the concept of it, yeah. like, I, I mean, like, it just reminds me somewhat of some of my teen angsty yeah. times and running around Baltimore and stuff. And it's just, uh, I, I love that. Um, so I really wanted to love it. And I love the characters. Uh, and I think they're great. Um, but like I said, it's just, it ran on too long. And I just, I wanted to get up. I think I did get up a couple times because I was just like, oh my gosh, can this be done yet? But it is a it is a great movie. I just think they definitely could have cut and pasted it, it, it a well, little no, bit. A little I, yeah, bit. It, it's a good movie that could have been a great yeah, movie. Yeah, it could have been a great movie. Yes, you're right. You're right. If they could have just... It's just, it just it, that middle act mm-hmm. runs too long and the, the, the third act seems abrupt. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, for the time period and everything, yeah. and I he, mean... He, here's the thing. Like, I've told you before, someone said to me, oh, they should only remake good movies. And I was like, why? It's a good movie to begin with. Remake flawed films mm-hmm. and fix the mistakes. This should be remade. I agree. I There's agree some with issues. And then here's another thing. And we talked about this too last night. The relationship between the two girls, mm-hmm. between Nikki and, and, and Pamela, it's all signs are pointing that they're gay. Correct. It does. But the movie's filmed in 1980, so they're not really trying to focus on yeah. that. So it, it's like you're like, okay. When are they gonna like? Yeah, when they hooking up. Well, not even hooking up, but when are they gonna like? You know, go boom, we're gay. Well, that's what I kind of meant. Like, when are they gonna address that issue? Yeah, and, and they, the only time it came through, so they were like laying and they were asleep yeah, together. Yeah, that, that. And then, and then at the end, it pusses yeah. out so yeah, hardcore. It does. Nikki says to Pamela at the finale, "She's you're my best friend." Yeah. Best friend. Yeah, and that's what you get, and you're like, what? I was waiting for her to say, I love you. Yeah, me too. And to I be was, like, I love you too. Yeah, so I would love to see it address that and and bring it more into light. I want to see that love story. I don't, yeah. That's what I want to see. I don't want to, oh, she's your best friend. Yeah. No. It's like, like you no, weren't leaning that you way. you loved just... her, and I wanted to see that. And I mean, like I said. It could be a really cool love story. Yeah, it could be. I mean, like, like we said. It's a good movie. It could it have been a great movie. Absolutely. But check it out. I mean, I, will, I mean, and, and, especially now that it's okay. out on the Blu-ray. And today is, um, what's today's date? This is July, July 10th. July 10th. If you go to Kino's website mm-hmm. until July 18th, yes, it's on sale for, I think, like 12 bucks. There you go. So, you know what? That's a Friday night in. Yeah. And it'd be a win. So, oh, that reminds me. I got to... Maybe order some more Kino stuff for our sales over. Yeah. Anyway. But I also want to um, bring up the point. Another great movie that I love that it kind of did have similar or a couple things around similarities was Empire Records. And that's what Alan Moyle, Moyle, he directed them as well. Really? Yeah. So I thought that says it right there on the back. But 
Oh, and he did pump up the volume. Yes. So to me, that ah. all kind of flows together. So he likes teen, like, combining teens and music. Yeah. So he's definitely a That's music interesting. connoisseur. Huh. But um, and I so if you if you like any of those, if you love Pump It Up, if you love um, Empire Records. That's really interesting. Yeah, you would definitely love this. And it's great. And plus, Tim Curry's in it, and he's young, and he's so handsome. Tim Curry's awesome. Yeah. Come so. on. Our, our generation definitely loves him. But anyway, check it out. Check it so, out. This, um, this opens a whole a whole new thing to the podcast now. Yeah. Us reviewing um, music movies. Yeah, which I'm totally fine with, because right. it involves... I got, an, I got another one in my head I want you to you know, I'm gonna I make love, you watch. I love um, music. So, yeah. So those are our things. That's um, so, um, the newest, some yeah. of our newest things. So before we... Um, Did adieu? Before we... Well, we got a little bit, a few more minutes before we oh, do adieu. Okay. Before we get to part three of mm-hmm. the Andy Sexgang interviews. Yes. Which will be the final part with Andy himself. Mm-hmm. In the episode, in episode 15, Andy part four, it's going to be interviews with his friends and fellow musicians. Yeah. But and this is the final part with Andy himself. Um, this was recorded the night after the mm-hmm. previous two interviews we did. Okay. Um, it's got a different um, di- different atmosphere. Okay. Because it was just me, Kieran, and Andy. Yeah. Um, it was, I guess it, I can't remember what time of night it was. It was kind of late because um, Kieran and I had to get up in the morning, go to the airport, and fly back to Philly. Okay. Um, but that turned into the whole thing. Yeah. So what? We'll talk about that next episode. But yeah, we were in um Deborah, Deborah from Iowa's flat. All right. Mm-hmm. Doing an interview and um, Andy talked more about the early days, getting started, and about the early sex gang lineups and the tours over through Europe, and um, gives his thoughts on the music industry. Mm-hmm. And um, they're pretty blunt because Andy's a blunt dude. Mm-hmm. He doesn't he doesn't mince words, which I mean. Professionally, maybe he should have at different points, right? But he doesn't because okay. he does. He just doesn't fucking care. And he talks more about his uh, friendship with um, guitarist Mick Ronson, okay, who was you know famous yes. for working with Bowie and mm-hmm. mostly. And then he worked with Morrissey, and right? Everyone, Ton- yeah, tons of people. And and Andy talks about his own bastard art, mm-hmm. and it's a nice, it's a good interview. I hope you guys like it. And um, well, without any more. Mm-hmm. Jibber jabbering. Yep. This is Andy Sex Gang interview part three. Part three. When's the album going to come out now? End of July. That's the new release date. Um. And there'll be, uh, I think there'll be a launch party the 27th of July at the Slime Night. Mm. You ready? Yeah. All right. Uh, we missed three things. Yeah. Uh, could you talk about? Oh. That's my clock. <laughs> Hence the accent. That's really good, actually. <laughs> Uh, Who said that? Where is it? It's right there. <laughs> oh, right. That's really good. <laughs> Did you talk about the naked release? 
naked, naked. The original one, naked. Yes. Mm. Uh, it was a, um, it was a first release on our own label. The recording, as, as you well know, is uh, if you it's on the credits, uh, it's from um, a gig downstairs. It was about the only place uh, we could play in London at that time. Downstairs at the Clarendon, it's a place in West London. Uh, and I got the gig there to begin with. Uh, not that particular one that was recorded, but an earlier one. Uh, because the guy said, what, can you guarantee getting, you know, like uh, X amount of people down here? And I went, yeah, sure. And he's like, no fucking way. It's at least 150 or whatever. It's like, no way. You know, we've never played a gig before, so with that lineup, so I mean, uh, but yeah, we, we just pulled all our friends and their friends down, so we got a regular slot at that place and ended up being the only place we could play for a while in London, and that's where we recorded Naked. It's like a little piece of, um, it was like a little piece of our history in the survival sense, really. The only other place we could play was closed down. Remember, as I think I mentioned the other night, people, and uh, club owners, etc., were saying, you will not play this club or this venue with a name like that, and with that music too. Fuck them, you know. We also missed uh, asking you about Song and Legend. Song and Legend. What do you want to know? This is your question. Oh, yeah, that's my question. Yeah. About the recording and how that came together. And... We um, did it in about a week. A week and uh, uh, seven days, and um, that included mixing everything, recording, mixing in a place called Jacobs, which is down in the country in Farnham somewhere. And uh, I can't, I can't describe it. It was, it was really good. It was just fast and furious. You know, we knew all the stuff. We would rehearsed it anyway. We'd been playing it live. So I mean, you know, everything was recorded within a few days, and then we did, um, and then we started mixing. Seven days, yeah, and that included, I think, um, a day to go back in and uh, put violins on Sebastian, and to uh, edit it as well. Anything else you want to know about the? Um, yes. I mean, there's a whole shitload of stories about that. But. <laughs> okay. Um, well, whatever you want to tell. Us. Yeah, but uh, we also want to cover the original lineup and how you came together? Well, the drummer, Rob Stroud, was the first one to join. I mean, this was at a time, as I mentioned before, when everyone was going around saying, yeah, I've got a band, and no one had a fucking band, you know, just the balls. And um, I, I met Rob through an advert, I think it was, yeah. I was advertising, I was stopping people in the street and saying, you know, they looked all right, and I was saying, can you play an instrument, you know? It doesn't matter, do you want to join, you know? Whatever, and, uh, and most of them were like taken up by other bands, but I met Rob through, uh, through an advert I'd put in, I kept advertising, and I did have other people at the time, but I was still formulating a sound, and an idea was developing, this was going along, and so are the songs. So Rob was in there, um, then, uh, Dave Roberts I already knew, um, 
and he'd played a panic button gig like months before, whatever. Um, there was a, I then got this guy, Steve Morgan, on bass, and um, then Terry McClay. And, um, and then afterwards, I just felt the songs had really developed and, and the bass lines were really, and uh, S Steve Morgan couldn't really, um, he couldn't really, or didn't really want to play those sort of bass lines. So I had to replace him. And uh, Dave, I knew could play those bass lines. He was into that sort of style, so. Now how did Cam and Kevin come into the band? Auditions. We spent a couple of days auditioning, Terry and myself auditioning uh, um, hundreds and hundreds of people when we needed, um, if we needed a new rhythm section. Dave, it's always been, well, said that, uh, from David, that uh, he left. <laughs> but um, he was thrown out. But he, he left because he knew he was going to be thrown out. He just really, I, I cancelled the rest of the American tour. I, it got really bad. I mean, we were going to kill each other. And, uh, and this uh, drummer fellow, Raimondo, him and Dave were going to kill each other. And, and um, I just said, you know, this is, these people are just so pony. And uh, so I just turned around to Terry and I said, right, that's it. I said, they are out. When we get back, we, um, we audition. We look for new people. And um, as for Kevin Matthews, he, um, his enthusiasm won him the day. There were a lot of drummers who were technically better, but that didn't really matter. Kevin had a good feel. And uh, Terry wasn't sure, he was sure about it. He was, he was saying, you know, he's not as tight as some of the drums. I said, it doesn't matter. He can learn to be tight. He has good feel. He really has the best feel of all the drummers there. You know, more professional sort of drummers. So that was Kevin. Cam, Cam had feel, style. He looked great, and uh, he he could he could play. He played like a he played like a devil. You know, he was incredible, incredible bass player. Very rich and ornate, you know. And he re-improved a lot of um, Dave's bass lines. He was strong enough to. Uh, to um, even though he was coming into band, he was strong enough to uh, rehearsals. He would just say, "Look, okay, this I've learnt the bass line, but these bits are totally bollocks. They're pants." He said, "You know, cut those out. It'd be much better like this. It's great." So Cam became, um, you know, my main co-arranger. And for Blind, we just spent months living on ten pounds a week, paid by our manager at the time. He's paying us ten fucking pounds a week, and uh, each in my flat in Brixton. We just spent months locked away rehearsing, uh, you know, the, the, the songs. I was teaching Cam all the songs and, and we just rehearsed the arrangements just on two guitars. And, uh, and then when it was ready, we went into rehearsal studios, the rest of the band, taught them the songs and then went into record. Yeah, Cam and Kevin, very, very good. In 85, when you did some more US shows with Cam and Kevin, you, you used the 86 gang, the Quick Gas Gang. How'd you come upon that? The Quick Gas Gang. Um, 
there was a title for, as you think you know, <laughs> for one of the songs. Um, <laughs> and uh, it just had a ring to it. It just had a ring to it. I liked it. Everyone liked it. That was a funny tour. I think one poster for one gig said, lock up your daughters. Here, here comes. <laughs> and something to that effect, which I thought was funny. It's quite true, actually. <laughs> if there's anything on there you yeah. want to... These are all the questions we asked you. All right, yes. When did you first decide to make music? I wrote my first song when I was five years old. A little competition me and two of my brothers had. And uh, passed the time of day, you know. And um, it was I like make up a song on the spot. And uh, so we all did. And I made up a song on the spot, <laughs> like a real song. And um, it won. The little competitions, much to their dismay, because they were older than me. But I never wrote another song since. They were just like looking at me, okay, you know. And I never wrote another song since, uh, since like years and years later. Um, when and where, when and where was your first public performance? Depends what you mean by public performance. You know, as soon as I learned three chords on an acoustic guitar, I just went out and did some gigs like, you know, in sort of art centres and things like that with sort of like indie bands who were playing, you know, and uh, showcase things. And I even played one coffee house one time, because that's all I had, I just had a guitar. But it wasn't exactly folk music. It was acoustic music, Jim, but not as we knew it. And um, it was, uh, you know, these places hated me because they were just like, you know, guy standing at the back like this, you know, after like three songs, because he's like Swedish tourists or whatever, just be sort of sitting there and not, it wasn't fucking Bob Dylan or it wasn't sort of like songs that they knew. It was those whole coffee acoustic things making me want to puke. They are such tourist attractions for the money. It's got fuck all to do with music. Mm. All right, we covered the thing with a name, didn't we? Yeah. Oh, I got the name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was there a message that you were trying to get across with SGC? Did I at all yeah, mention that? Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> what did You're I quite, say? You, you did it quite animated, too. Mm, I, I bet. <laughs> That's what happens when you're locked away, you know, in a bunker all day. And then you ha you're, like, let loose with a few bottles of beer. <laughs> My God. Uh, 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 the first, uh, Nicky Garrett, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we he was, he was a really good guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Tony James used to bring these, he brought these videos down to the studio. He believed in, um, creating atmosphere for performance. True, performance is everything. And, um, what was he, he brought down, um, Who Dares Wins, which is a, like a British film, but the, yeah. the SAS, based on that sort of, that, um, uh, the Iranian embassy siege, where they used the SAS, and it was, um, so we watched that, Cannibal Holocaust, which I actually, oh. s uh, yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. so we set up on that watching videos, you know, and, uh, but we sampled a bit of that on Song of Legend, I, I, I said that, you know, I said, we've got to sample this bit. <laughs> And uh, it was a bit where they're up in the, the trees with a radio going, blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 
where they go, and this radio goes, it's before State of Mind, I do believe. I just thought it would know, be perfect have, there. I still have the song Lurging album. Nor do I. I tell you, I could have given you, a, I had a couple of white labels um, years ago, but they just disappeared. Uh, 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 okay, Tony, yeah, yeah. Shame you couldn't talk to Tony, actually. Well, the drummers, you said it was quite spinal tapish. <laughs> well, it's a funny film. It was a little bit, I suppose. It was a little bit. You know, I just want to reiterate in this whole thing of, you know, why don't you support with other bands, support other bands, whatever. I really don't have much respect for a lot of musicians or bands. Uh, anyway, and as well, like, um, people in, in the industry. And people say to me, well, you mustn't take it so personally. And I try not to, but uh, they are just whores. They are slags of the worst kind. You know, they have, as I said, no sense of loyalty to any ideology. Or um, they really are doing it. Uh, with the industry people, they just, yeah, it's just like money. But they've got no balls, which is why they never really pioneer. Not everyone in the industry. There are some really good interpreters, good pioneers, people who really do believe in music. But bands are the same, a lot of them. and. You know, we used to help other bands. Not like we're trying to get some Nobel fucking prize for it, whatever, but... Um, Mother Teresa, whatever, but... Uh, we used to help other bands. And just because we liked them. And you know there's this whole thing, like, you buy onto a tour? Yeah. Yeah? Um, well, I used to... Uh, we never did that. We never, we never asked people. We just used to give them a tour because we liked them and because they were having problems trying to get gigs but they were good, that's why we did it. And uh, they would, um, we just say to the bands, look, they say, well, you know, how can we thank you? How can we thank you? And say, well, you know, the, I'd say to them, you know, there is one, you know, I have one condition, uh, that if, you know, it comes to time when you are able to give supports to others, don't do the buy-on thing, don't make them buy-on, just find a band that you believe in, that you like, that are struggling, and uh, give them the fucking break they deserve because it's a real shitty industry, you know. I used to fucking go mad when I'd walk into the agent's office, you know, and, and there'd be all these other agents with these, you know, uh, with these, like, sort of posts of these bands that they had with these tapes of. And I'd say, look, you know, this band gave me this tape, they are fucking brilliant. And, you know, he said, you know, why won't you fucking put them on your agency? Take them on. And so that instead you've got this piece of shit, you know. And they say, yeah, but this piece of shit's got, you know, a hundred thousand dollar, hundred thousand pound deal, record deal, and this band that you're trying to, don't. And it was just down to that, you know. It's not down to the quality of music or how they are live. They're total whores. They have no shame as well. You can tell them to piss off. You know, you can say, you know, like, get down on your knees and let me piss on you and I'll consider, you know, going with your agency. And they would do that. They are such whores. Um, you know, I never actually told you how I actually met Mick Ronson. No. Uh, you've heard of the Lonely Hearts columns, right? <laughs> I'm joking. Um, Lonely Hearts. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you know, you know they took Gulliver out of the dictionary this year, didn't you? <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, okay. I was. Um, there was this guy called Pete McCarthy, who was one of the guys, along with Tony Gordon, who brought over the Stray Cats to London. And uh, 
It was actually Pete McCarthy said, you got to come over to London. you got to come to London. He was an Irishman. And uh, he looked like a fucking pixie, Peter McCarthy. And um, he, uh, he was a real scam master, deal maker. Anyway, um, they had this band called uh, One the Juggler. And they, uh, they got Mick Ronson to produce him. And, uh, and uh, apparently Mick had asked for a T-shirt, so it's going T-shirt for his daughter. And so, uh, and th Pete and his wife were saying, you really, you know, you should work with this, you know, you should work this guy Andy, you know, you'll really get on with him. And they were saying to me, you should work with Mick, really get on with him. And uh, I, I just thought it, I mean, I, Mick Ronson, a great hero, you know, and totally, totally, you know, admired him, I really did. But, uh, um, you know, he's a great, the great English guitar hero, but uh, I just thought it wasn't right. And this is when we were doing Blind, just about to be called Blind, and uh, there was one song actually that I was really tempted um, to, uh, yeah, that, that needed this riff, this hook, and Terry was, with all respect to Terry, and you know it's fucking true, Terry, he was a bit lazy, and I really had to kick his ass in the album. Cam and Terry worked, you know, really hard on the album, and Terry was being a bit lazy. And uh, so, I thought when Mick, if anyone could come up with a riff, this hook, really sort of haunting hook for this song, it'd be Ronson. But I eventually came up with something, anyway, at the last moment, thankfully, and I just felt it wasn't right to work with Mick at the time. And hence went Arco Valley some years later. But in between them, we stayed in touch. One day I was up at RCA offices, um, just hanging out with some uh, friends of mine who were, you know, working there. We were going to meet Pete and then go for a drink afterwards, because I knew some people up at RCA as well. And uh, and this band one the juggler was signed to them. Now they're BMG RCA. And uh, so we, you know, we were just sitting, and I was with the bass player from the Bolshoi. We were just chatting, and um, uh, they came in, and Mick came in, we were introduced. So we finally met up that way by accident. Before we were actually going to be arranged to meet, we met up by accident. And um, he heard me talking about, um, you know, me just going to do the blind album because this guy from the Bolshoi was asking me. And he said, uh, I said, look. We're going to go in for 11 days. The Bolshoi would like making, spending months to make an album. A bit like I don't know, really. But, um, and uh, Mick was quite intrigued by the fact that I was, that we were going to cut ourselves for 11 days to do an album. Mick, so he just like came in on the conversation. And then we just sat chatting for about the next two and a half hours. I smoked all the cigarettes because I'd run out. And, and he asked me, you know, I had needed the PF songbook I'd just bought, and he was intrigued by that as well. And uh, so, yeah, we, we sort of started hooking up after that. And then we became friends, and uh, he became <laughs> the only fucking friend I had, as I said the other night, when uh, no one would dare to be seen next to me anywhere, seriously. And um, he really gave me cause to, to carry that flag, so to speak. He really did. You know, that music was a tool worth fighting with. Um, it really was. And um, when Arcavalli, time to do Arcavalli came up, when I was ready with that album, I, I just, that's why I just knew Mick was. That would have been such an easy shot and I could have gotten to do, you know, blind. A lot of people were using Mick Ronson because of the name and, or because they really liked David Bay, which is fine, which is great, but, you know, you've got to work with people because of the right reason to do with the music, not to do with personal, not to do with personal, you know, fulfillments. So uh, I knew it was right that Ronson should work in Arca Valley, and that's why I told him. 
he would welcome the album. I just knew it, you know, that gods had told me. No, seriously, I just knew it, and uh, even if he didn't at the time. Right, another question here, which is... Um, yeah, the Wrath of God was supposed to be um, an Andy Setzkang album. What influences your work now? Very difficult. Did you ask me that question? No. No. I find I am not listening to what you'd call just sort of rock music anymore, or normal rock setup music. Uh, um, I think Kevin's got a whole bunch of stuff that he wants to uh, play me. And I've, I know he's got a bunch of stuff that I actually really want to listen to. Um, a lot of that sort of electronic German stuff in the 70s, which uh, I think is very good. Yeah, we were over his flat uh, yesterday, wasn't it? Great stuff. And him and Thomas were listening to Kraftwerk. Yeah. Thomas Hamm? Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Uh That's the Kraftwerk album I gave him. I gave to <laughs> Kevin. Yeah. Um, it's a fucking good compilation, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, what influence my work now? Well, yeah, I... I'm, I'm really looking for things that, um, you know, to inspire me. I really am. This is a good one. I'll tell you about the regrets at Berlin Wall. How would you sum up your music in one word? How about two words? Bastard. Art. <laughs> it is. It really is. We're trying to call the documentary that. Mm. Huh? We're trying to find call the documentary that. That's not bad, actually. Mm. It really just sums it up. I mean, every title has, for some reason, it's just it's just felt right. But this is um, this. <laughs> This kind of sums up the whole music, really. Really does. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't. Um, I didn't. Um, I was going to give you a a copy, a CD copy, burnt from the studio, um, to take back with you guys. But uh, um, when I dropped the master off today, I I had to give that to this other guy to because um, I forgot I was supposed to bring two down there. Um, one just for, um, so they can make up, uh, things for, for press and journalists, whatever, you know, review copies, etc. Kevin gave us a cassette yesterday of a, of a show from, a live show, show from 84. Um, Where was that? The Lion. Hmm? Yeah. Oh, Leon. Yeah, Leon. Yeah. Yeah. My God. He said, yeah, he said, yeah, make a copy, put on CD, and we're going to send it back to him with a, with a copy of it on CD, too. Leon, yeah, um, I remember that. I told Cam to get ready to uh, use his bass to swing it. He had some trouble with a couple of people in the crowd. Did Kevin tell you about Switzerland? No. It's the only time I've ever trashed a room. And uh, I'm not into that sort of thing, but I'm into... Uh, you know, I, I'm not, I don't believe people should take shit either. And uh, we just spent nine hours in... Um, we didn't want to do this fucking show in Switzerland. We really didn't. We wanted to. We'd just done a long, hard European tour. We wanted to get back to Paris 
or our girlfriends were waiting for us and have a day in Paris before the Paris show. And um, instead, our agent at the time, who I also sent a pig's head to, just for the hell of it, because he deserved it, because he had done so many things that had fucked up the band and, and fuck, you know, he fucked with the music big time. Uh, and anyway, he um, said, you've got to do this show, you know. He forced us to do the show um, because we wouldn't get paid the rest of the money from the, I should have smacked him when I got back to London. I really should have. No one ever does that. It's our money. You know, it's, we worked hard for it. Uh, but anyway, so he was doing a favor for these promoters because, you know, for, so they would do a favor for one of his other bands, you know? And that's how we kind of used Seskang. And um, so we went all the way out of the way to do this bloody thing in summer in Switzerland. We got stopped for nine hours in the customs. We had a big to do with the customs there. And uh, I mean, that was, uh, we just lost it. I'd lost it anyway. And uh, I really wanted to fucking kill this asshole. It was, um, you know, I mean, it's a scary situation when they take you in this big hangar and then the sort of big iron doors close and you sort of think, oh shit, you know, show us to the showers, you know. And, um, but after about an hour, you just like, and you think, what am I going to get stuck up my bottom? But as Cam used to say, look, you know, if that happens, just pretend you're enjoying it. He said, fuck them up, freak them out, you know. And I was like, cool. But after about an hour and a half, um, you know, you just think, fuck this shit, you know. And uh, so we just had this big psychological battle of wills between these guards and, uh, and myself. And, uh, and poor Kevin got man in the middle at one time when the guy said, you know, to move the van. Once it was in the garage, you know, they'd emptied it, had to sniff the dogs in or whatever. He said, to move the van and, uh, the, you know, the minibus. And they, he was trying to move it. And he, and, uh, and he said to Kevin to get out. I said, Kevin, stay where you are. And so Kevin sort of sat there and the guy said, out, you know, because he's trying to push it with this other guard, you know. And, um, and he's expecting us to help him, and I, just, and I just said to everyone, I said, stay where you are. I said, no one's fucking helping these fuckers. And then, uh, and poor Kevin was sort of like, said, oh, I, I don't know what to do, you know, it's like, you know, and they've got guns and you haven't. <laughs> and I was like, I said, Kevin, just sit there, you know. So it was this big battle of wills. And uh, of course we won because, because these guys are assholes. They really abuse their power. I always find it's the countries who do least when it comes to war. They're the worst when it comes to abusing power. The Belgians are known for it too. The coolest ones always were the Germans. And we know what they're like when they go to war. But, you know, they never abuse their power. They're so cool as, you know, they really were. And, um, but we did this gig in Switzerland. And some little prick who thinks he's a punk is spitting at me. So I, I, <laughs> I just used a chord to that breaking song to uh, without breaking step or anything in movement or without breaking lyric in the song, I swung the chord around and that looped it and then just tightened it and just continued singing. And his face literally went bluey green, the same color as his hair. And then I just, uh, and it, he was like this sort of, you know, you know when you're about to sort of faint or whatever, and I just like pushed him with a foot sort of back like that from the front of the stage and he just went on his back. Um, these assholes also were told not to record it and we caught them, well, one of the tour managers caught them recording with this professional sort of, you know, to bootleg. So the tapes got trashed. Um, they were assholes. And we went to the hotel room and I had never, 
the concierge, concierge, was stoned out of his fucking box. Um, this hotel was the cheapest piece of shit. I just felt so insulted. It was like, it was like full mica everywhere. It was disgusting. And the oranges and browns colors, you know, it's disgusting. And I just lifted this bed up and just against the wall like that. And it just, it just, it was so, it was like balsa wood or whatever. And it just smashed. It was just like, and it just fell back down and just like collapsed and smashed. And uh, Kevin came into the room and saw everyone else did. And, and uh, I was sharing the room with Kevin and I just went, sorry, Kevin. I said, uh, I just smashed your bed. I smashed the window too. I just picked something up and threw it out the window, a chair or whatever, and some other things. I just trashed the room. I just really lost my temper. And I don't do that for, you know, rock and roll. Or, but um, we got a better room. We got a much better room. It worked. I'll say this. Sex guiding children are a, and it always has been like, for me, music should always be a free, a free and fluent thing, expression for anyone who wants to make music, write a book or, or paint. And uh, sex guiding children use music like a sword against the fatted, rotting corpse of the music industry or the music industry that represents uh, a slave-like industry, abuses music, and which it shouldn't, because music is a great communicator, and people do need music, and um, it is like a sword. And we will win, because we are not afraid, and we are free. And if you are like that, you will win. Even if you stay broke your whole life, it doesn't matter. Your music will always win through. Even if people translate your lyrics somewhere in Japan that are totally like Song of Legend, where they are totally not, you know, they're totally, totally different to, you know, they're very, very sort of badly written and very negative lyrics instead of the message you wanted to convey or the, the things that just, you know, came to you. Even that cannot stop you. It can't, you know. The music will still cut through even if your albums are re-released with shitty sort of covers sometimes, as we know, uh, your music still cuts through. When all this is long forgotten and dead, you know, a thousand years' time, people remember truth in music or truth in any art form. That lives on. All the man-made um, cock-ups and fuck-ups, they're forgotten. Let's have some coffee. And so that brings the Andy interview to an end. Hope you enjoyed it. Learned something. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have anything else to go on about except bittersweetandtwistedrecords.com. Yes. Our, our TikTok. Yep. Also, check that out. Yep. We'll, we'll try to link that up this here soon. Yeah. Um, we're on Instagram. We are. We post a little bit on there. Mm -hmm. We post some on Facebook. We don't post on Twitter. We have mm -hmm. a Twitter. It's just that. It's just. It's enough. Twitter's a shithole. It it's just, I, don't, I don't know. There's too much. There's there's too much negativity on Twitter and people mm -hmm. arguing. It's just it's enough. There's enough of that crap in the world anymore. Yes. 
But you can listen to this podcast. Yeah. On whatever you're listening to it right now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, whatever, uh, whatever platform you're checking yeah, whether, out on. Whether it's um, Spotify or <laughs> right. Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, uh-huh. which we do have a um, 4.7 on. Just saying. Saying you can give us more positive reviews. Please. Wherever. Don't, don't give us negative. Yeah. You can really help us make more of these. Yes, because um, we like to do it. And if you have any suggestions or any bands that you want us to um, check out, and, you can message us. Yeah, through, message us, please. You know, through the different social media mm-hmm. platforms we're on, or you can email us directly at bittersweet and twisted records at gmail dot com. I know it's really long. It is, but it's to the point. <laughs> yeah, it's, you won't forget it. Yeah, it's bittersweet and twisted records at mm-hmm. gmail dot com. Yes. So. Thanks for hanging in there with us for another episode. Absolutely. And we will see you again in a couple weeks. All right. Be safe, everyone. Bye.